Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. We're talking about the one today who was born to reign. In fact, he was born reigning. He was reigning before he was born, and he was in when he was born, he was also born to reign in a different manner. We're obviously talking about Jesus. We're talking about how Jesus today was given to govern. He was given to govern. And so let's look at the Christmas story in Luke chapter 1. So make sure that you know where the Christmas story is, right? When you get together with your family on Christmas morning, one of the traditions that we do at our house is I break open the Bible and I read the Christmas story to my kids so they're not just caught up in thinking Christmas is all about gifts, but Christmas is all about the gift, the gift of Jesus, and we want to center around that. So Luke chapter 1, that's where it at. That's where it's at. So you don't even have to Google it. You can just pull up your Bible or your Bible app and just or take a screenshot today and just pull up Luke chapter 1 and jump into the Christmas story. So that's where we're at, verse 26. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. Say, highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So she's freaking out because she had known, and many people before her had known, that kind of the traditional thought was if an angel showed up, they were showing up to take you to heaven. Right? This was kind of the belief of people in biblical times that if you saw an angelic being, it's, they were there on a mission. And the mission wasn't necessarily to speak to you, but it was to take you to God. And so when he shows up, she's kind of freaking out a little bit like, whoa, you're highly favored. Now, she shouldn't have been caught off guard because he's like, you're good. You're highly favored, not just favored, but you're highly favored. But she was still greatly troubled and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. For you found favor, everybody say favor. You have found favor with God. Again, reiterating God's smile upon her life. And he said, you will be with a child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will never end. The kingdom that the baby is going to have will never, ever end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. And the, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the one born to be born will be called the Son of God. So he wasn't going to be the son of Joseph. Come on. He was going to be the Son of God because he was... She was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren in her sixth month. For nothing, here it is, is impossible with God. So she, he's saying, he's, the angel's telling her, hey, listen, I know it's hard to understand. I get it, you're a virgin, but you're going to get pregnant. She's like, well, that's impossible. And he says, well, let me talk about things being impossible. First of all is this, Elizabeth, who's been crying out a child her whole life. How many know the Christmas story starts with barrenness, not with pregnancy? She's been pregnant her whole life, and even in her old age, she's going to conceive. 
because nothing's impossible with God. So if she can conceive when she's barren, then you can definitely conceive when the Holy Spirit overshadows you. And this is what she says in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. Everybody say servant. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. I am your servant. Some translations say it this way. I am your servant. Let it be according to your word. Whatever you say, that's what's going to happen. But her posture was the posture of a servant. What is a servant in this scenario? The servant is one who serves a king. One who serves a kingdom. And so she's saying, listen, I will surrender to the word of the Lord. I will surrender to what God says because my life is surrendered to the king and his kingdom. Notice she didn't say, Lord, you're my servant. Right? She didn't say, let it be according to my word or my wish or my desire. No, no, no. I'm completely surrendered to you. I'm your servant. I'm just here to serve you, God. I'm just here to do whatever you call me to do. Whatever you say, let it happen. Whatever you want to happen, let it happen. This is the heart of someone who is yielded to a king. This was her posture, a posture of servant, a posture of obedience. This is the heart of surrender. Everybody say surrender. So what are we surrendering to? We're surrendering to the king and his kingdom. We're surrendering to his government. We're surrendering to his reign. It's his way. Now, people had a lot of problems with Jesus, right? People, in fact, people still have a problem with Jesus, right? They like some of the things he said, but they don't want to take it all. Come on, right? Oh, we like that part. We like it when it suits me. But not let it be according to your word, all your word, just part of your word. And so even Jesus, when he's born, there was all this rejection that was happening because Jesus was the unexpected gift. He wasn't the gift that they expected it to come in. In fact, it was, in a, it was kind of in a different package. Kings are supposed to be born. Messiah kings especially are supposed to be born in palaces. Messiah kings are supposed to be born at the sound of trumpets and then all this noise around it, a big celebration and everybody coming together. Yet Jesus was born in obscurity. This king is born in an unexpected way, in an unexpected package. In a manger, a place where animals are kept. In a food trough, a place where animals feed. And isn't, isn't it fitting that the bread of life was born in a place of feeding? See, many rejected Jesus because he didn't come in the manner they were expecting. Have you rejected Jesus because he didn't come in the manner in which you were expecting? They thought that Jesus was coming for those who deserved him. Those that were entitled to him. In fact, the Jews re rejected Jesus so much because Jesus said, I didn't just come for the Jews. So they were like, he's our, this, the Messiah is our Messiah. He's like, I'm your Messiah too. But also I'm bringing all the nations. They thought that he was coming to drive out, not welcome in. They thought Jesus was going to get rid of all the heathens and all the sinners. And Jesus is like, I'm here for them. The sick Need a doctor, not the healthy. This is what Jesus said. They thought he was coming uh, to be served. Instead, he came and served. They thought 
that this peace reign that was promised by the prophet Isaiah, they thought that this peace reign was going to be one of governmental, militant overthrowing. Jesus shows up on the scene, and they think he's going to come in with a sword and smite out the Romans and drive out the Romans with fire in his eyes, much like he will in his second return. They thought Jesus was going to come with militant advancement. But here he is born meek and mild, tender, with mercy, with grace. This is how Jesus showed up, and he was rejected so many times. Have you rejected Jesus because he came in the package that you don't prefer? Isaiah says this about him. For to us, a child is born. To us. The child is born to us. To people, to us, a son is given. How many know Jesus is a gift? He's the son that was given. He didn't come because we deserved him. He didn't come because, in fact, that's the definition of a gift. A gift is something that you give, you get not because of merit, not because you earned it. If you earned it or because you were good enough to get the gift, it wasn't a gift. You got it on your own accord. No, no, the Son of God was given as a gift. The Son was given. The government that he brings was given. We didn't deserve it. We didn't do anything to earn it. It was God's gift. It was God's gift to the human race. It was God's gift to his experiment of humanity. His people, he said, here he is. And this is what he says, the Son is given to us and the government will be upon his shoulders. See, it's not on your shoulders. It's on his shoulders. The kingdom's not on our shoulders. The kingdom is on his shoulders. He's the king. And he's not going to put the work of the kingdom on our shoulder. We will shoulder the work. We will partner in the work. And we're going to talk about that in this series. But listen, it's all on Jesus. He's the ruler. He's the reign. It's his power that carries the kingdom. And us yielding Helps him govern. So it's on his shoulders. So Jesus was given to govern. And this is what sustained Mary. So Mary, he come, they come to Mary. The angel comes to Mary. And she's like, he, he, he's like, listen, this is what's happening. She's freaked out. Now she's got to deal with public scrutiny, right? Possibly the, the death penalty according to the crime that she's committed because she's pregnant outside of wedlock. Here she is, this woman, dealing with all this trouble. What was it that sustained Mary? What was it that sustained her for these nine months? It's the same thing that sustains you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Christ was in her, the hope of glory, sustaining her. I surrendered to the reign of Jesus that was inside of her. We talk about how Jesus is in your heart, but are you yielded to his reign? Are you yielded to his leading? I know you got Jesus in your heart, but are you yielded to what's inside of you? And this is what sustained Mary. See, she understood that her main responsibility was to carry him. Did you know that that's your main responsibility? It's just to carry Jesus. It's not to go and be forceful and make things happen and, and manipulate things to work in God's favor or your favor. No, it's just your job to carry him. It's your job to carry the hope of glory into the world. So... Jesus rules. He rules in the heart of Mary, in the womb of Mary. He's ruling on the reign. In fact, Scripture tells us this, that Jesus rules over all. Did you know that Jesus 
is in charge of the universe. He tells daisies where to grow. He tells the earth how fast to spin. Jesus is the one who is in charge. He is the one who is commanding everything. He put this whole thing in motion. He was in on creation. He Way before he was born in a manger, he, the scripture tells us in one translation in Colossians, which we're about to read, it says that he was the firstborn of all creation, that Jesus always was. Yet 2,000 years ago, he gives birth. This is called the incarnation. His birth is given to a physical body, and it's God in the flesh. The Holy Spirit will overcome me. And then now Jesus, who has always existed, now actually takes on and clothes himself with human form. Still fully God, but now also fully man. The beautiful thing about the incarnation, I love it. It's my favorite, favorite, favorite thing. And so Jesus is born. Listen, he will always have a body. This is what's cool. Jesus, who had no physical form, he was just spirit. God is spirit. Now God takes on human form. So good. Because he was born of flesh, you can be born of spirit. So he was born of flesh. He comes on the scene. He's killed. He he lives, dies, resurrected. When he's resurrected, his body takes on a new form called a resurrected body. He's still able to eat. He's still got physical. He's physical. He can touch people. Remember, Thomas touches him. Jesus has his physical body. It's the same body that he still has. It's an incorruptible flesh. So when we get to heaven and we see him, we will touch him physically. He has elbows and earlobes, right? I don't know if he has freckles or not, but if he does, we'll be able to touch them. We'll be able to physically touch Jesus. It's not like FaceTime Jesus. It's not like text message Jesus. Physical Jesus. He's not going to be on your phone. You're not going to sense his, you're going to actually, actually be able to touch him physically. Lord, I want to touch you. (laughs) That's so good. So excited about that. Colossians chapter 1. Christ is the visible image. There it is. You can see him. Of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, and he is supreme. Everybody say supreme. Supreme. Supreme means like he is the top of the crop, right? It's like when you get supreme nachos, you get the top layer, right? It's like you got the nachos, then you got the supreme nachos. They rule over all the nachos. Jesus is the supreme. He rules over all the other things. He is supreme over, over what? All. All creation, not some of creation. He rules over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. So we know he was in creation when we read the Genesis account. This is we will create God in our own image. Jesus was in on it. It wasn't just the Father creating. Jesus was in on it. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms. He made all things that we can see and the things we can't see. Thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen realm. Everything is created through him and for him. It wasn't just made by Jesus. It was made for Jesus. You were made for Jesus. You were. You are made for you. You are made for him. That's why he loves you so much. Verse 17, he existed before anything else, and he holds all, all creation together. He's spinning the earth. He's telling the flowers where to grow. He's doing it all. He's in charge. Christ is also the head of the church, which is the body. He is the beginning, supreme. There it is again. Over all who rise from the dead. So he's first in everything. That's a good one. Highlight that. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. 
And through, through him, God reconciled. Everybody say reconciled. Reconciled means you brought it back around. You reclaimed it. You, you were out of relationship, and now you've been brought back in. Does that ever happen to anybody in the room? Like you were broken up, but now you're back together? That's, the way it, that's what reconciliation means. It means that we were broke up, but now we're back together forever. That's what reconciliation means. That'll help you. And through him, God reconciled everything, not just people, but everything, and made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you. You. You're in on it. It's not just the stuff. It's not just the affairs of the world. It's not just the grand narrative. It actually includes you. You were in on it. You were part of the plan. Who were once far away from God. You were his enemies. Did you know that outside of Christ, you were God's enemy? I know that you might never saw it that way, but if you weren't surrendered to his kingship, listen, you're a part of another kingdom. And all the other kingdoms are enemies of his kingdom. So you were part of your kingdom. I was part of the Josh Brown kingdom. It was all about my way or the highway. It was all about the way that I wanted to do things or see things and function in things. No, no, no. He's saying, hey, it's my kingdom. Will you be yielded to my kingdom? Because I don't want you to be my enemy. I want you in. Separated him from him by your evil, evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he is reconciled. There it is again. We were broke up, now we're back together. Now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. <laughs> so good. Just read Colossians. So good. Just read it and read it and read it again. As a result, he has brought you into, just love this inclusive language because of Christ. He's brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Without one single fault, you're able to stand before God because you behaved? No, because Jesus did. Because you obeyed the Father? No, because Jesus did. Because Jesus surrendered to the Father, you have no fault before God. We call this ruling, this rulership, this ownership, this in-chargeness, if you will, we call this the preeminence of Christ. This is the doctrine that surrounds it. So if you want to sound smart to your friends and school them on some theology tomorrow and say, do you know about the preeminence of Christ? Say, what does that mean? It means he's the supreme ruler. And you can say it like Pastor John. He's the supreme ruler over symbols. <laughs> Stuff. Like that. Don't do that. Jesus says this, makes this claim about himself in Revelation 1.18. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The Alpha and the Omega are the letters of the Greek alphabet. It's the first letter and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. Kind of like we have A to Z. If this was English, we would say A to Z, right? Jesus is the A to Z. That means that he's the beginning of it and he's the end. You know, Amazon has that thing. Right, I think we have a picture of it. Amazon has this, this logo that they have, and it's from A to Z. Right, It's got the little smiley face drawn in there. That's some little logoology for you there. And uh, so what, is, what are they saying? They're saying we sell everything from A to Z. Guess what? Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end, and he covers everything 
in between. He's the king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is the supreme ruler. And listen, he's a good ruler. He's, he reigns well. He's good. He's not dictatorial. He rules over all tenses. Listen, he rules over the past. He rules over the present. And he rules over the future. He rules over from A to Z. The Alpha and Omega, who was, who is, and who is to come. Jesus rules and reigns over it all. Beloved, he rules over your past. He rules over your past. And most of us are comfortable with this, that he rules over all that was. I love it. I love that I come to Jesus and he gives me a new slate. He rules over all that was. The old way. The old, the old thing. Guess what? The old you. He rules over the old you. It's the way you used to be. See, you used to be an enemy of God. We call those sinners. Don't say you're a You're not a sinner. I'm a sinner saved by grace. That means that you're not a sinner anymore. I was a sinner. I've been saved by grace. Sinner is part of my history. It's not part of my present. It's part of my past. I was a sinner, but when I came to Jesus, I became a son of God. I became a daughter of God. Now I am presently in identity, in relationship with the Father, a son of God because of Jesus. My past has been dealt with. Jesus ruled over my past. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're yielded to the rulership of Jesus. He is a new creation. See, this is the cool thing about Jesus' reign. He's ruling over all of it. And what he wants is he wants you to go, Yes, I agree to your rulership. He is not a dictatorial king. He does not come in and say, I make you serve me. I make things go my way. Are you listening to me? Listen, it doesn't necessarily mean, some of y'all aren't going to like this, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's in charge or in control. He is in charge, but he's not always in control. Guess who's in control? You are until you say yes to his control. See, it's only in, you're, he is only in control when you've said yes to his control. Tracking? He's in charge. He's the boss. He's the supreme ruler. He wants my yes. He's not a dictator. He's not that kind of king. So it says this, if anyone is in Christ, we've said yes to him, he's a new creation. The old is gone. Your past is gone. The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry, here it is again, of reconciliation. So not only are you reconciled, you actually now are in the ministry. Did you know that if you're in Jesus, you're in the ministry? The ministry of reconciliation. You're, you're in the ministry, all of you. If you've said yes to Jesus, welcome to the ministry. We ordain you. The ministry of reconciliation. You are now, you now have the ministry of calling things back into belonging to him. Bringing things back under the control and the charge of Jesus. Tracking? All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself. He was bringing it back. Not counting men's sins against them. Did you know that Jesus doesn't count your sins against you? 
He, he, it's not like you were broken up and then you get back together and he's like, will you remember what you did? So we got to have these boundaries now because of what you did. No, he doesn't remember. God can't, one of the things that God can't do is he can't remember your sin. Scripture teaches us this. I will remember your sin no more. He can't remember your sin. Not even if he tries. He has that, that's how powerful his forgetter is. You remember. I remember. Right? In fact, our ability to remember is sometimes what gets the best of us. But God is so powerful, he can forget things. So good. He's not counting your sins against you as he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. See, he dealt with your past so you can have a future. He dealt with your past so you can have a future. Will you allow him to rule over your past? Will you put him in charge of your past? Will you put him in control of your past? Will you allow him to rule and reign over your past, the the sin that you've committed? The guilt that binds you. The regret that limits you. The shame that has crippled you. The pain that has had a hold on you. The abuse that you've suffered. Will you allow him to reset your life? Just hit that. I was a kid, remember playing Super Mario Brothers. Reset. Didn't get off to a good start. Let me reset. Am I the only one? Reset. That's what he wants to do. You didn't get off to a good start. Reset. Welcome to the new game. The disappointment you faced, the tragedy that you faced, the mistakes that you've made, the life that you've wasted, it's all been dealt with. All been dealt with on the cross that day. Will you put it on his shoulders? Because it's his government. It's on his shoulders. You don't have to carry it anymore. He carries it to the cross, then he forgets it. Will you allow him to deal with the bitterness? And the pain because of your past. Because of things that others have done to you. Will you allow him to deal with that? I know you want retribution. I know you want, quote, unquote, justice. Retaliation. I understand. They did you wrong. They need to pay. I get it. But you trust the grace of God, not just for you, but also for them that have sinned. We can forgive. Scripture tells us that we can forgive because we've been forgiven. Put it on his shoulders. Put your past on his shoulders. Leave the past in the past. Get past your past. You got to get past your past, beloved, because you will never be present in the present, and you will never look forward to the future if you will continue to allow the past to hold you. You've got to get past your past. Bye. Allow him to deal with the bitterness. Allow him to deal with the pain. Listen, I'm not minimizing your pain. I'm emphasizing the power of the glorious forgiveness that Jesus offers. The glorious grace of God. It's not about your pain, but I'm telling you, I know your pain is great. I don't know what you suffered. I know it's hard to get beyond it. I know that the bitterness is, I don't even know that you hate the bitterness and you're, you want to get past the past. I get it. I understand that. But understand this, that his grace is so much bigger, that the cross is so much more powerful than what has happened or what has happened to you or what you've done. His grace is enough. Number two is the present. The present. The present. And this is where we'll spend most of the time in this series. We're not talking about 
the alpha and not necessarily talking about the omega, but the middle. I mean, this is where we live. We live between, in that space between, the alpha and omega. We live in the smile. We live in that space, the middle, the middle. Isaiah continues, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, many theologians have put those words together. Wonderful counselor, I actually think they're two different words. And we spent a whole series talking about how wonderful, wonder-filled he is. But he's also the counselor. This is how he is present in our life. He is the wonderful counselor. He, is, he, he leads us with guidance and comfort. He's mighty God. He leads us with power. Did you know that God has miracles for you? He wants to display his power in your life. Will you believe him? Will you believe him for his power, his miraculous power? He's everlasting father. Jesus is the apostle of our faith, that he is the, he is the apostolic leader of this family. He brings us in to family. It's not, it's not just a kingdom of, of ruling and submitting and, hey, Lord, it's, no, no, it's a family. Like there's a place at the table for you. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Peace with God. When you come under his leadership, you, you come under that peace of Jesus. And did you know that whenever you come under the peace of Jesus, no person and no problem can ever disrupt your peace? Listen, beloved. No problem, no person has dominion over your peace. No person, no problem has control over your peace. There's only one that has control over your peace, and you've been yielded to him. You surrendered to the Prince of Peace, and you said, I want your peace to reign. So stop allowing. Listen, the moment that you allow someone to frustrate your peace, you said you're more powerful than my prince. Once you've surrendered, once you've surrendered to a problem and said, I can't have peace because what's going on in my life? You said that your problem is bigger than your prince. The Prince of Peace. And there's nothing bigger than him. He's the king. He rules. He reigns. He rules and reigns. Listen, when you find peace with God, no man can ruin that peace. No problem can ruin that peace when you have peace with God. How, do you, how did you go through that so gracefully? I didn't go through it so gracefully because I'm so spiritual. It's just because I just had no other choice but to trust the one who exercises peace, that everything he does demonstrates peace. I just trusted God. And it's not because I'm so spiritual or even because I prayed for eight hours a day or because I fasted and you should do all those things or because I read my word. Well, all those things help, absolutely, but, but it all comes at the end of the day. It comes to that point of trust and surrendered to him. So how does he... How, how, how does he lord over our present? How does he reign over our present? Number one is just by being with us. Just by being in the room. I've shared this before. Our, our son Uriah kind of has some delays and stuff. And, and so he's, you know, he's about to turn five here in a couple weeks. And uh, less than a couple of weeks. And, you know, he's, he's still, you know, kind of behind. He's still like a toddler a little bit. He'll grow out of it pretty soon. But, but at this point, he's a little bit delayed. And so he wakes up every night. And he comes beside our bed, and he, wants to, he has this, like, separation anxiety, and he, want, he has a little spot where he sleeps next to our bed. And he tells Leslie, he's like, he's, he says, just touch me. Right? You know how he says it? He said, well, you just, just touch my head, Mommy. I need you to touch my head. I need to know that you're there. And this is the way the Heavenly Father does with us. This is what Jesus does in your life. He just reaches out and lets you know, hey, I'm here. 
I'm right here. I just want you to know I'm here. We talk about Advent, uh, the word Advent. I've always, you know, for most of my life I had to Google what that meant. As long as there was Google, what is Advent? What does that weird word mean? Advent just means the arrival of a person or a thing. That's what we call Christmas time. We call it Advent. Christmas time, like after Thanksgiving, Christmas time, right? Not August. Just kidding, but not. Advent means the arrival of a person or a thing. So when we celebrate Advent, we're declaring, we're celebrating the arrival of Jesus in the flesh, and his kingdom. That's what Advent is, a person and a thing, Jesus in his kingdom. That's what Advent is. So he says, I will be with them. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, about this glorious event. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's with us. And what I love about Jesus is he showed up on the scene in flesh, and he said, I'm never leaving you. When I go to heaven, I'm going to give my spirit, and you'll function the same way I did because the spirit of God will be inside of you. So he teaches in John 14 through 16. The spirit of God. You'll do greater things than me because of the spirit of God that resides in you because you're yielded to me. He is present. Present is the opposite of absence, right? You know how it is when someone's not present? You're like, dude, like we're here. Why aren't you in the room with me, right? Hey, man, what's up? I'm talking to you. I hear you. No, you're not. You're not present. I want you present. He came physically. Jesus came physically. We talked about that with skin on. Listen, his presence, him being present, his presence is what leads us through the present. His presence is what leads us through the present, knowing that he is here, being aware that he is there, just knowing that Jesus is with me. Man, that's, there's great leadership in that. Knowing that the same spirit that possessed Jesus possesses you. It wasn't wasn't a figurative appearance of Jesus. He didn't appear figuratively. Physically showed up by being with us. The second way that he he, reigns over our present is by leading us. By leading us. See, under our own leadership, we will always be lost. This is why Jesus came, to seek and to save that which was lost. We needed to be found. It says this in Matthew chapter 9. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Like sheep without a shepherd. Like, like people without a leader. Jesus said, I came to lead you. He didn't, he didn't show up on the scene and say, take me to your leader. He showed up on the scene and said, I am your leader. The leader has arrived. Here I am, Advent. I'm here to lead you. Will you follow my lead? And some did, and many didn't. In fact, the most... The people that we, we expected to follow him didn't. So Jesus came for broken people. Jesus came for anybody that said, I need a leader. And it wasn't just the broken. It was them too because they were most willing to admit it. I don't want to get to the point where I have to be broken. See, we're incapable of leading our own life. You know what happens when you're in charge and you lead your own life? You get lost. You end up in sin. You get up, end up distant from Jesus. We're incapable. On Friday, we, had, we were getting our Christmas decorations down because it was the day after Thanksgiving, and that's the proper day to do that. And so uh, I'll leave you all alone sometime, some point in my life. Uh, 
So I'm up in the attic, and we're getting all the Christmas decorations down. Leslie's down in the living room working with the kids. While I was up in the attic, I thought, oh, I need to look at that ductwork up there. Some of the house isn't cooling and heating properly, so I'm going to kind of look around. So I'm up around the house, and I'm going to where there's no decking in the attic. And I should have hired someone to do this, like a professional, you know. But here I'm up in my attic with house shoes on, you know, dressed like I would be for Walmart. And I'm working around in my attic, kind of creeping around. And I, something happens. The next thing I know, my, a quarter of my body is through the ceiling. Leslie's in the living room. What is happening? And there I am, dangling a leg, suspended between a couple of beams, bruised, ego shattered. <laughs> Leslie's asking questions. I know. Yeah, I know, baby. So I'm, my life's flashing before my eyes. Lord, what's going to happen to the church and the family? <laughs> They're going to do it without me. Right? All that. So I finally get up the courage and the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit to <laughs> rise from the ashes and <laughs> go downstairs. Leslie laughs at me. She wasn't trying to laugh. She's like, it's okay, baby. It's nervous giggle, she says. Uh, so anyway, it was miserable. All of that could have been avoided if I would have just got somebody to do what they were capable of doing. Instead, I thought, I can do it. I can take care of it. And what, ha- what happened? The same thing that happens every time I try to do plumbing. I get myself in a mess because I think I can do it. The reality is, is my life is the same way. I think I'm capable of leading my own life, but I'm really not. There's only one that knows how to lead my life, the one that made me, the one that created me, the one that forgave my past and is present in my present that says, you know what? I can do what you can't do, Josh. So stop getting yourself in a mess. So many will call on God in times of trouble. Most will. But will you call on God before you get into trouble? And I would submit this to you, beloved. If you will call on God for his leadership, you won't always be asking for his rescue. Many want a savior, but not many want a king. And Jesus said, I will gladly be both. And you will function better if you will let me be your king. I want to be in your presence. I want to lead you. Are you allowing him to lead? And listen, beloved, he, his posture is grace. It's, it's tender. And some, some of us have, been, have, a, have a bad grid because we've had bad experiences in church. And we've seen bad people do things poorly. And mis, they, they misunderstood the leadership of Jesus. Like Jesus is this mean dictator with an iron fist. Listen, he doesn't dictate with a strong arm. He leads with a tender heart. This is the way he leads. He leads with grace. He leads with mercy. He leads with tenderness. The Lord says, Psalm chapter 32, verse 8, I will guide you along the best pathway of your life. I will advise you, and I will watch over you. I got this. I got what's best for you. I know what you're built for. I know how you're supposed to live. And then he says, don't be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and brittle to keep it under control. In other words, I'm not going to control you like a wild stallion. What I want is I want to be able to speak into your life. I want to observe you. I just want to be quietly right there alongside rejoicing over you. Will you surrender to that kind of leadership, the leadership of the Holy Spirit, the wonderful counselor? This is how he wants to lead you. 
not a mean-spirited, you better or hell. You better or cancer. This is what people think about Jesus. God is punishing me. That is not the plan of God. That is not the purpose of Jesus. His purpose is to lead you in good places. If you don't follow him, you might end up in some other places, but it's not because he meant that for you. Beloved, he wants to be present in your present. And number three, he wants to lead you into your future quickly. So he rules over all that was, all that is, and all that will be. He rules over your future. We're talking about hope. See, when you get this, when you get that Jesus has my future, that he knows what he's doing with my life, when you get that, you have hope, right? Because hope is the joyful anticipation of what is coming, of what is good. And so people that live with no hope, it's because they don't really think that Jesus is good enough for their future. And I love Isaiah 9-7, how he finishes off this passage. The increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He establishes his kingdom, removes our past, and he says, it's going on forever. Forever. I want you in on it. I want you in on this thing. Until the end. Beloved, when you get this, when you get it, that, that he is ruling over your future, that he has a good plan for you, that he's with you in the midst of it. When you get this, it robs fear and anxiety of its power. It crushes. It just crushes all worry, all the things that we stress out so bad, all the stuff that keeps us up at night. It just crushes it because he's like, I got this. Will you just trust me enough to follow my lead? We'll just, we'll get through it. Listen, this is the most beautiful thing. The most beautiful thing is this in worst case scenario. If all hell breaks loose, if it goes as bad as you can imagine, if you're in him, the worst case scenario, scenario, you're with him forever. That's a worst case scenario. Beloved, there is hope for the future. Worst case scenario, you're with Jesus in heaven. That's a good future. That's a good future. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. He is so faithful. He is so faithful to this new thing that Jesus instituted called the new covenant. Can you go ahead and come up, babe? We're going to have communion together. Today, I feel like that this is the way we need to start off this season of Advent, of anticipation, as we, we start off remembering what Jesus did, what Jesus established. He didn't just forgive you your sins and leave you hanging. No, no, he, he is in covenant with you. And he, listen, he is faithful. He who promised is faithful. So what I want you to do today is I want you to trust him with your past. I want you to devote your present, that you would see your life as sacred. I'm devoted in my present and you expect him in your future. You expect him to move. You expect him to be mighty God to show up in those miracles. That is good hope for you. 